0: You guys, we're here right now with Misha Tate, and uh, let's talk, man. Let's talk your new job. Let's talk, uh, you know, all sorts of things that I have on my mind that I've been wanting to ask you for I don't know how long now.
1: Yeah, so so I've been settled into Singapore now for a little over a week, and um, I'm really loving it. I've been here like four times before, so I kind of knew that this is a place that I could call home. Yeah. I'm still getting furniture delivered. I just got the Wi-Fi set up at our place, you know, so I'm just settling in still, but, um, I'm already excited and I'm chomping at the bit to get started, uh, be more head on with one championship. You know, I think I'm, I'm going to be commentating two events a month, um, or every other weekend, however you want to look at it. And there'd be quite a bit of travel involved, even talking about coming back to the States uh, as early as may. Wow. Yeah. heading to New York for some conferences and things like that. So, um, Busy. I'm, yeah. I think I'm going to be really, really busy. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I, a quick question, though. How did this all come about?
1: Um, You know, it's weird, Josh. It, it really was just a calling, to be honest. I've always had this intuition. Um, and when it speaks, I just listen. And um, I think I was pregnant with Amaya still. And um, I just felt like I was meant to be doing something bigger and different than what i was doing i was feeling kind of bored with the home life and and i've always had that model i think i think as a fighter you kind of have to have the motto that you need to be comfortable being uncomfortable yeah and i was feeling too comfortable and i just wanted to change i wanted to challenge myself in a new way and i had like i mentioned i had been out to singapore a few times before um i had had dinner with chachri sit um, and, uh, that's the CEO and, and yep. founder of one championship and yep. evolve, uh, for those of you that don't know. And, um, you know, he wanted to, you know, extend his, his gym to me, extend all the, you know, a, a friendly invitation and, um. I decided years later to kind of follow up on that. You know, he just, he kind of let it, left it out there. Like, Misha, if you ever want to do something here, just let me know. And I said, okay. You know, I kind of just tucked it away in the memory bank. Um, yeah. And uh, years and years later, I reached out to Shatri and I said, you know, I think uh, I'd like to see if there's some position available at Evolve or One Championship. And he said, yeah, absolutely. Um, we'd love for you to be the vice president on One Championship. And it kind of blew my mind, to yeah. be honest. I did not expect that. But again, um, I, I talked to Johnny and I just said, "Hey, would would you uh, consider moving all the way across the world with me and, and our daughter?" And he's wow. like, "Yeah." And I was like, "No, I'm really, I'm serious. This is not yeah. like a lighthearted question." <laughs> and he's like, "I'm serious too." I I still don't think he took me that serious because finally, when I was like, "All right," it's like a six month plan or whatever. Um, I think a little longer than that now. Maya's ten months, so I guess it was, uh, um, you know, along those lines. But anyways, uh, it was pretty quick turnaround for us and. And uh, here I'm in Singapore. Johnny has yet to meet us. He's coming in a couple days. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, it, that, that's how it came about. It was random. It's about as random as me deciding to fight or deciding to wrestle. Mm-hmm. It, it's complete random decision. But when I say random, it, I, I also think that it's meant to be. You know, it's yeah. not like it just, you know, fell into my lap. It was a calling.
0: Yeah, I, I actually worked for them for a couple of years. So I did the k side commentary for them for a couple years um and Rich Franklin was working with them He's, I believe he's still with them right Mhm and uh Rich and I we came close he actually was like one of the guys that did the uh the rules while we were while the fights were going on so if we had questions about rules he would talk to us about it and break it down while I was doing the commentary for it I mean honestly I thought they had some really good shows uh the Singapore shows are amazing the presentation mm-hmm. like the walkouts the pre-prep all the stuff that goes into it was absolutely amazing like i i really enjoyed um their stuff and it was right after i had fought i want to say right after i had fought nate and um it was like you know right after i fought benson i started working for them for a couple of years and it was nice man it was uh, it was good obviously it's a long flight when you're flying back and forth But uh, I I was
1: wondering. So you never lived here then?
0: No, I never lived there. That was kind of, I think, where they, I think, we're headed. They were asking me, like, hey, how many, how much longer are you gonna fight? Are you, you know, what's the idea? What's the plan? Like, are would you be considering it? Would you ever consider maybe moving to Singapore? Because I think what happened with Rich, you know, Rich went out there and he just kind of like made some friends with some people and basically moved out there.
1: He he got absorbed. I remember. (laughs) Yes. I remember him telling me that um you know he was stateside and he was doing the travel back and forth and it was just too difficult and finally decided to he was supposed to move to Singapore for two years which is my plan also and he's like yep. just wait you're gonna be here longer than two years it's yep. <laughs> like I'm still here
0: <laughs> yep yep that's exactly what happened so we just started and it was so great because every time I went you know Matt Hume was there he was there but I mean it mm-hmm. was it felt like it felt like home honestly like it felt felt good to be there and be part of that especially with so those two guys why
1: didn't you why didn't you end up moving out here you didn't want to leave the, the, the San Jose life
0: yeah no it was, I was still fighting at the time I was really like if it was something maybe that was offered to me after fighting when I was when I, if I had decided right. I was gonna be done but um it was it was kind of like right after the Ben fight so I knew if I got one more fight or one more win I'd probably be fighting for the title again and, and then there was some conversation and talk that I had with with um, with um victor about like hey you know it's going to be a little bit more hard now for us to have you keep flying back and forth because you still fight for the ufc and even though i got approval from the ufc it was really i could understand why they don't want somebody who's calling their fights to be fighting for another organization but i mean i was i felt great i felt happy that they even gave me an opportunity i mean it was i did shows for them for probably about two years and it was nice yeah i had a good a good i had a good time great group of people that worked there and um, I got lucky though because I was actually filming movies in China at the time and so they would fly me so sometimes they didn't have to fly from the states they would fly me from like Beijing or Guangzhou or wherever I was doing movies and they would fly me from there so it was only like a two hour flight so it wasn't bad I haven't
1: been to China yet what do you think of China
0: I liked it there I mean I didn't mind it like Beijing was a little it seemed like it was a little rough around the edges but like when I was in Guangzhou there's a lot of uh, industrial area there but the, we were out like on the outskirts where the farms were and people okay. were amazing. It was awesome. I mean, it was a little weird because I was walking through some of the areas and like the kids are pointing at you like they've never seen a white person before. And so it's a little weird.
1: It's so, it is a little weird here for me being the minority. Like I look around a lot of times I'm the only white person. Yeah. But
0: I mean, there's, there's actually a lot of ethnic groups that are like, there's a lot of ethnicity there in Singapore. That's
1: very true. Yeah. 40% of the population here in Singapore is expats. Um, So there's just a lot of cultural diversity. You know, that doesn't mean it's all white people. It's, there's a lot of uh, people from Indonesia, um, you know, China, as you mentioned, I mean, a lot of Filipinos. Yeah. um, so, yeah, but but it's definitely got a lot of cultural influence, which I absolutely love. I think of anywhere that I've ever, that I've been in Asia, I haven't been to China, like I said, yet, but I still feel like this is the easiest to integrate because there is such a cultural diversity. It's yeah. kind of like a mini America, but just kind of, just better because it's, it's cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's very, people are just so friendly. It's so nice. And it's yeah. very. It's very earthy, which yeah. I'm kind of a hippie at heart. I call myself a modern hippie. You don't day hippie. say.
0: You don't say.
1: <laughs> yeah, I totally am. Yeah, yeah. I, I like, I'm the person who washes my, my plastic Ziploc bags and reuses them. So if that, if that doesn't say enough, you know, I've never seen such a big city. That integrates nature as well as Singapore, yeah. which I just love. Yeah. I, I absolutely love it. I actually have this incredible view right now, which I wanted to share with you Let's and see it. anyone who's watching, uh. because
0: yeah, I ain't mad at that. <laughs> is yeah. that the is that the Marina it's Bay so- Sands? Yeah,
1: that's the Marina Bay Sands, and over there is the the Garden by the Bay. Yeah, so um, just tons of green out there, and you just see how um, incorporated the nature is and. Um, there, I think there are a bunch of hippies over here as well. Um, oh, let me show you the bay. There the, uh, that's the ocean up there. In yeah. not, but I feel like they're a bunch of conservatives and like, and, and hippies too, in a sense, because they're, they're all like about saving water and about, um, just taking care of nature, which yeah. I'm all about. Yeah, I so I, right I
0: do know that they have they have like a real hard ordinance on vehicles there. It costs like fifty grand just to put your name into like an auction to even get a car, and then when you get a car to have it imported in or something like that, it's really mm-hmm. expensive. Like for a, for a Honda, it's going to run like, you like twenty six thousand or something like that.
1: It's something like a hundred percent or one hundred fifty percent tax on it, which is crazy. So it's it costs whatever the car costs. It usually costs double that. Yeah. um So it's very it's very unaffordable to have a car here most people do not but the public transportation as you probably know is it's so easy it's the best it's, like it's a the best in the world to go anywhere
0: it's the best in much. the world no. H- hands down i think it's the best in the world and i mean like as far as traveling in europe and, and all around the, those areas by far mm-hmm. i think hands down singapore has the best public transportation
1: yeah we need to step up our game but everyone owns a car in america so i guess it's just a different ball game
0: yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to. Get, I think it'd be nice if everyone started getting rid of them a little bit and just you know started biking to work instead. But who knows, man? You never know.
1: So- yeah, I'm only point seven miles from Evolve, so I just run there. That's I don't. Nice. I don't even. Yeah, it's it's, it's so nice. It's so- very, very centrally located, and I've never lived this kind of life. I'm more of a country girl, I would say. I, I grew up on five acres. Um, I did grow up in Tacoma, so I guess it depends how you look at it. But like, oh, that's a, you know, that's a city, but I grew up way on the outskirts, which is like more Puyallup area for those of you that are familiar with Washington State. And um, I grew up on five acres and I played outside and was a, definitely a tomboy at heart. So this is a totally different lifestyle for me. I'm in a condo with with no yard and, you know, it's like 1,600 square feet, three bedrooms, it's small. And um, I'm really embracing the, the simplicity of it. You know, I just yeah. wanted to simplify and focus on working and, and, um, trying my new hat on, you know, I'm I'm no longer Misha the fighter, you know, and I'm I'm Misha, the one championship executive.
0: (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. So (laughs) let me, um, let me like rewind it back a little bit. Like you said, you talked to Chautry and, but, and you said this is more of like something that was a calling, but like, let me, let me get into this. Why was there never a conversation with the UFC about them using you, given that you were in Vegas? I mean, and you're, a former champion with them. I was,
1: I just find that kind of weird. So, you know, it would there. There wasn't really any job security for me until I had actually already agreed to work with one championship, but it hadn't been announced yet, which was was interesting to me. So I was still basically a, a freelancer with the yeah. UFC. Yeah. Um, and they would they would call me for content. Um, hey Misha, can you come to the office and and film a you know a video for, um. You know for our platforms uh and sure i would come and do that um you know do picks or whatever that they needed picks and predictions but there was never really any job security until ironically i had already signed with one championship and it wasn't announced yet that i was going to be coming over here but then the ufc reached out about you know possibly giving me more of like a full-time gig yeah but even then that like the pay wasn't comparable and you know, the opportunity wasn't yeah. as uh, as interesting. So I was, I was already committed to, to coming to one championship.
0: That's nice. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah, we're, they had, what is it? They had like national women's day. And then I noticed though, on the, the video that they had for the UFC girls pumping <laughs> the girls up that they took you out. Does yeah. that, does that rub you raw a little bit like in your mind or does that just the business?
1: No, it does. It it does. Because I feel like I was still a big part of the UFC and a big part of the women's movement. So it, it bothers me. I'm not going to lie, but it bothers me briefly. And then it's gone. You know, it's just like, if I think about it for the moment, it kind of irks me. It's kind of like, what the fuck, you know, yeah. like, why would you not like, 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 I wasn't part of it. Like, I like, I'm just gone now, you know, yeah. um, and you know, I, maybe it's because I critique the UFC sometimes. Like they probably aren't a big fan of that. The fact no. that I don't enjoy the 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 antics of Conor McGregor or you know a Ronda no. Rousey. I was never that way. So yeah. I feel like I'm more of a purist and mar- of a martial artist. And I I feel like I resonate with one championship and and their motto better than the UFC. And maybe that bothers the UFC that I've been a little bit outspoken about that. But you know, I'm, I'm definitely not trying to badmouth the UFC, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And I, I, there's, you know, no way that I would be where I'm at right now if it wasn't for the UFC. So, you know, I got to like pay my respects, but it doesn't mean that I agree with everything that they do. And it doesn't mean that I, you know, that I have to, or that I should. And if that means that they're going to cut me out of, uh, the, the promos from here on out, and I'm not going to be a part of what I was the part of, then, you know, that's okay too. Cause I'm Feel like i'm on to bigger and better things and i'm really enjoying my my position here with one championship and and i know that one championship would never do that yeah you know if, if i was a part of history in the making like I, I don't think that just because you know i went to work for something else that they would they would just like cut me out of the promos yeah
0: so let me rewind it back even further than that like you're you're still relatively young you see some of the fighters that are that you know like for me i fought all the way up until i was 39. like why why did you retire so early
1: I retired because I didn't like the way that I felt that last fight. I felt like I couldn't um, ignite the fire. And that was a really ugly feeling to me just to kind of be in there, but be on autopilot. I didn't feel like it was fair to Raquel. I didn't feel like it was fair to me. I didn't feel like it was fair to my fans because it was really a shell of the fighter that I am. And that's not how I want to represent myself. That's not how I want my legacy to go down. And it's like, it's, it's a hard thing to explain to maybe people who haven't been there, but like when the fire is gone, the fire is gone. And, um, you know, for now that's just how I feel about it. I I just think that, um, I would never want to perform like that again. Like, sure. I I wasn't going to get finished. I got, I had enough fight in me for that, but I wasn't there to win the fight. And that sucks. Like I didn't, I didn't show up. I know I could have done a lot better, but I just didn't, I couldn't pull it out of me. And that's a really, bad feeling to have when you're in there and you just can't ignite the fire
0: yeah I've, yeah i can kind of i can pretty much relate 100 i can relate it's just that feeling of like we know what we've been through we know who we are as people mm-hmm. and and i don't want to be the person that f- fought until they're you know 42 44 yeah. whatever it is and now all of a sudden you're you're like muhammad ali you know you're the guy that he could have he could have <laughs> given up a lot he's already went down as a legend. Like he could have stopped fighting years before that, and he didn't. He loved it too much, or he wanted to. He thought he still had it, or he thought he could still rekindle it. I think also to just walking away at an earlier age, you, you're in a position now where your brain still works, your motor skills still work, and uh, kind of yeah. <laughs> well, when it comes to the internet and like uh, computer stuff, we're both right. screwed. So, but yeah. I mean, no, I definitely understand what you're talking about. It's something that just you, you, you. We both know, and you know exactly what what we're capable of and when we don't perform to that level it's sometimes best just to walk away and I mean I would imagine that's how you
1: felt yeah you know it's not that I have nothing left you know I think physically I'm probably the strongest that I've ever been. Um, I feel really good physically, but it's so much more than that. It's, you know, about having ev- all the synergy between every part of yourself, your mental, emotional, and physical. And when one or more of those off, ah, which for me, like mentally and emotionally, I was just exhausted. And, you know, part of that had to do with the politics of the sport, you know, part of that had to do with uh, relationship issues, life issues at the Time. And and part of that had to do with perhaps me just feeling like I had I had done enough. I had I had accomplished enough, and I've been competing in contact sports for about 15 years at the time. So um, you know, I ca- I had accomplished that world championship goal, and uh, I don't know. I, I guess maybe my calling was just something else. You know, if I was still fighting right now, you know, I may be tarnishing my legacy um, continuing to fight for the OC, and I, I wouldn't be here in Singapore. Yeah. Um, so obviously when one door closes, another one opens, As a good old saying goes, right? Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> Do you feel that maybe winning the title and then, and then, um, right after you lost it, like, Hey, I already, I've already accomplished my goal of winning it. And it kind of, that is what kind of took away some of the fire. Like you said, you had a hard time getting motivated. Like it was, but you had a hard time getting motivated for the fights after that. Is it just felt like, yeah. You- you did. You did. What we. You did exactly what you came in to do. You want a title, the world title, and you know. And then after that, did you, you want to go back through it all to get back up there again? Is that really kind of what it could have been?
1: Yeah. I mean. I mean. That's that's got to be a part of it. Um. I don't know if I looked at it at the time directly like that, but in hindsight now, it was a part, probably a part of the total package when you're you're putting everything on a weigh scale because I was never the UFC's golden girl. I mean, let's be honest, I never was. I I never was gonna get any kind of preferential treatment. I mean, it took me six, I think it took me six fights and, um, you know, to get back to a world championship, which I know that the, the guys have to do a lot more than that sometimes, but for the women, you know, it's a shorter circuit to the top. Yeah. And, and it didn't matter that I've been fighting for a long time. It didn't matter that they had promised me, um, you know, that rematch against Ronda. And then they kind of pulled the carpet out from under me. And yeah. I found out via social media and everybody texting me that I had been replaced by Holly. And, you know, it's fine. It all worked out in the end, but, you know, being treated like that kind of, it kind of sticks with you and then you got to think like, Hmm, all right. Well, like, how? How? What's the road to get back there, anyway? You know, if it was that, if it was that hard from the beginning, I didn't really feel like anybody was on my side. Now I say anybody. I use that term loosely, but um, obviously my friends and family were. But as far as the UFC goes, you know, there wasn't. Nobody was really doing the extra things. You know, they wanted Rhonda back in that position. They yeah. didn't want me back in that position. And at the time, you know, Rhonda was still. Like she was still competing. So I just felt like that opportunity was bleak. Yeah.
0: So now that you're saying that you're there full time living there, it's nice there. I mean, pretty much like it's easy for like when I was there, it's easy. everyone there speaks English, even though everyone speaks Chinese, but everyone there speaks English. When I was talking to some of the people that work there as a, as far as employees go, they were like, you can't get a job unless you speak English, even though we all speak Chinese, but you can't get a job unless you speak English. So you found that it's easy. Has it been easy of the last week and a half or whatever to adapt to be in there?
1: Yes, very much. So it's nice. Cause again, that's why I said it's the easiest to integrate here. There's no worry about language barrier or, um, it's still a bit of a culture shock. I'm not going to lie. I've gotten lost on the transit a few times. And I earlier today, I, I have this prepaid SIM card now, which is a weird concept to me. I think I'm definitely going to go with like with a plan. But it was just easy when I got off the plane to grab a SIM card and have it kind of working. Yeah. I ran out of data today when I needed to go somewhere. <laughs> and I think I was even texting you. And I had to, I had to find Wi-Fi because I couldn't contact anybody anymore. Yeah. My data just ran out. And I couldn't, like pay for my card because I didn't have the internet. So that's just those learning curve things that I'm trying to adjust to. And when you go into the store, like the food's so different, a lot of times the grocery shopping is even a totally different experience. It's all, it's all new. It's a bit overwhelming, but in a really, really good way. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and, and excited to be very far out of my comfort zone.
0: So you were talking about evolve cause you'll be doing some stuff there. What exactly are you gonna be doing over there?
1: Uh, I'm going to be coaching a couple times a week. I actually have a seminar coming up, two of them, because the first one filled up so fast. So that's a good sign. So I'm doing uh, this Saturday and Sunday. I think that'll be Friday, Saturday for you guys. Um, And uh, I'll I'll be coaching two or three times a week, depending, Mm -hmm. just depending on my travel schedule and whatnot. Um, But I I, I coached my first class this last Saturday, and it was with the uh, amateur, like more Mm -hmm. amateur level. guys some some of the guys have never fought and a couple are like amateur level fighters but it's a good introductory for me and you know they already have their schedules they all have all amazing coaches you know so i i'm really like nothing special here because the coaches are all world champions they are all so credentialed and so um amazing at what they do you know the muay thai uh the muay thai coaches are multiple world time champions and yeah. multiple different divisions and they're just incredible. And then you have the BJJ guys that have black belt on top of black belt, their <laughs> red belt status. I mean, they're crazy. They're just, they're so good. And That's you have awesome. Olympic level wrestlers. And, you know, so I think what I have to offer is that I have a lot of experience in MMA and, mm-hmm. and um, I know how to put it together. Yeah. You know, that they have a lot of individual coaches here that are specialized in their area and they're phenomenal. Um, but I hope that I can bring something to the table when you, you marry it all together for yeah. MMA, you know, that the transitions, everything in between.
0: What other coaches do they have there that are specifically for MMA? Like is rich there is rich Franklin there is
1: no, is- he doesn't really coach there right now. Um, you know, uh, believe it or not, like some of the Evolve fighters actually step up and they'll like coach different classes and things like that as well. But You know, as far as um, an MMA coach, I know there's one here that I haven't met yet because he's been traveling with the fighters. So I actually don't recall his name. That's another thing that's difficult for me here is when, like, the Asian names. Yeah. They are so not only hard to pronounce, but they're really hard to remember. So I have to actually study. Um, But I know there's an MMA coach here that does uh, the fighting. To get back to you on that one, but um, he he was gone in uh, Indonesia cornering a fighter.
0: Yeah, some of the names are really long too, so not only are they like hard to pronounce, but they're extremely long. It's like three names like in one. twelve
1: syllables yeah. long.
0: <laughs> it's true though. I mean, it's I remember I was like, doing the commentary, and I would just call them by their first name because I didn't want to try to pronounce their last name.
1: That's what's going to end up happening for me. There's no way. Actually, that's a good question. Like, how did what did you do? You just tried to call them by the by the easiest.
0: Yep. The worst part is is you name. have to go like for me I had to go in the cage and do the interview afterwards and you have to say their full name if they won the fight at the end you have to say their full name you can't just call them by their first name at the end when you do the interview. So you're like oh yeah and here's yeah. your winner whatever you know their last name their first and last name is you got to say that. So I'm doing the same pray- it right? Yeah, well that or you're just praying that the guy you're praying the guy that has the heart the easier name wins. That's all I was doing. I was doing I do the same thing when I'm in Europe though right now with Bellator. I'm like, okay, so the guy's name that I can pronounce, I hope that guy wins. That's that's it. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's hard. Do they are they gonna have you doing the in-cage interviews?
1: They didn't say that I was going to, but that's a good question I should clarify that Um, right now I know I'm still getting settled so I definitely have to kind of figure out what my schedule is gonna be and what exactly the the color commentary expectations will be but I hope that I don't start out with that I hope that they kind of let me ease in a little bit and just uh, do the color commentary off-camera but we'll see. I guess if I have to, then I then I, I then I have to. Good luck. Good luck with that. They
0: threw they threw me to the wolves. They're like, hey, yep, you're gonna go in the cage now, right now. They were like, go now. I was like, oh, ran up there real quick, did the interview, ran back down. I was like, how was it? it well, didn't know
1: you're gonna have to do it.
0: Though they said you may have to do it earlier in the night, but it was the first time i had worked for them. Like, and then they, it's all obviously based. The in cage interviews are based on whether the fight's good or not you know, and whoever one is, can, you know, speaks English very or speaks very well. That's the other thing. Sometimes like a lot of it for theirs, there's a lot of translators. So you're dealing with a translator, then you're holding the mic to the, to the fighter, then to the translator, then back to you. And so it gets a little confusing sometimes, but it's part of the game. I mean, but they did throw me under right there. They're like, okay, yeah, we're going to have you go up there now, this guy. And I was like, oh great. What's this guy's name? (laughs) I was like, how do you say it? Yeah. Somebody tell
1: me Pronounce his
0: name yeah I mean but it's it's fun though same things going on right now with me with Bellator over in the UK making sure that ever you have to know everyone's name you gotta know how to say it properly you know it's just uh, but it's fun it's it's definitely a different part of something that you have to learn and have fun with um, the only advice that I could give you is just make sure you do your research that's it like do your research on all the fighters a couple weeks before that makes so much that makes everything so much easier I could see that. Yeah, because if you- um, I definitely
1: have my work up to
0: me. Yeah, because if what do you do is when you're researching the fighters and you hear how the other commentators pronounce their name, and if it's a hard name, they'll actually talk about it. Like, no, no, he said he wants his name pronounced this way. So when you're watching their their previous fights, you'll get a good idea of how they fight as well as like how, how, how the other commentators say their name nice that's a little bit that's a little tidbit to help you i guess for me that's it helped me a lot when i was in the uk doing the uk stuff even though a lot of them had easier names to pronounce but we had a couple people from from like turkey and another one from like the czech republic and i was like shit man this i mean unfortunately i hope you lose but it was like you know it was one of those things i was like man so
1: i like i like your background what who who picks those photos that are behind you
0: Oh, that was uh, Sammy did it. I my co-host normally he's here, but he couldn't make it tonight because he had uh, plans with his with his wife. So he he couldn't make it tonight. And um, yeah, Sunday night we were like, hey, Sunday night versus you know tomorrow at like eight o'clock at night because he work he works for the radio station. So he has to be up, okay. but he has to be up at like four in the morning to get to the to the radio station by I want to say five or four forty five. So he's. uh, I know
1: I'm so difficult. I've changed this on you, like time,
0: time on you. It's if it if it it would have been someone else, we probably wouldn't have done with the hassle. I'm like, you know what? We'll figure it out maybe later on down the road. But you know, we've been trying to get you on for a while, and we were talking for a bit about me doing your your show. What's going on with your show as well?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm.
0: Oh. I think we lost her for a sec. We'll have to it. Um,
1: essentially, I think you, I lost you. You lose me there uh, for yeah, a second. Yeah, I lost
0: you for a split second. So, what's going on with okay. your show? What's going All on with good. your show?
1: Um, basically, I'll be back on hopefully in May. That's okay. what I'm hoping for. So, um, I mean, it's gonna be early, early here. It'll be like 6 a.m. The show starts Thursday mornings, but that's still. Wednesday from three to five Pacific time, six to eight Eastern time for everybody stateside. So I'll just have to wake up early, but I really enjoyed doing my SiriusXM radio show, so I want to keep doing it. And um, yeah, I, I plan to, you know, at least finish out my contract through September, and then hopefully I'll still be able to continue to work on it.
0: How did uh, all that? How well, did all? How did all that come about?
1: Um, you know, it came about with uh, KHI management when I was still signed with them they helped me to get my SiriusXM radio show going up. Um I was doing a podcast for a little while. Yeah. And I was having a lot of fun with that, but the producing aspect of it was giving me a little bit of trouble. As as we both mentioned, we're not it was a little difficult cuz a lot of it was uh was like self-done. At least as far as this push record and then yeah. and then once it was done, I would send the audio and they would, you know, fix it up for me, but I like messed up that then we're not recording the show right and yeah. that, that actually happened to me a couple times too so i just needed it to be all taken care of on the production side and yeah. the radio show was it's perfect for me i love talking about mma i love talking about you know the new things going on in the world but i don't want to even be responsible to push record
0: <laughs> yeah i'm <laughs> the same way me. we I, i've actually we uh sam and i did a show and we had a great show and we forgot to push record so yeah, we did we did two hour long show. We forgot to turn on the uh, the and processors. It, and it happens. It was such a pain. Like
1: like that's not really like that shouldn't be the job description. Like if you're the one that's like doing the interview, like it's just so much better to have somebody who's responsible for all the techno techy part of it. Yeah. And and just make sure that it's all going going good because you can't really check it too once the show starts or yeah. you look. You know, it just looks weird. It sounds weird. Like, hold on, let me check my. Check my recorder, make sure it's going, you know? Yeah. That's why I have job
0: security, Misha. <laughs> yeah, so that's, yeah, per, that's producer see. Dave. He's got job security because he knows, like, I'm not doing that. It's yeah. horrible. That's yeah, so funny. But y- you were talking about doing something new when you did the Sirius uh, Radio thing. But then let's talk about with One. You guys have a ton more shows coming up, you guys are hitting some other countries. Like, talk to us about what's on the horizon for you guys at, at One.
1: Well, um, expansion Mm -hmm. really that's, that's what's on the horizon. Um, you know, one championship is doing amazing things. I think it's like somewhere over 45 million views for the last show, uh, called a new era that was in Japan where Demetrius Johnson made his debut, Eddie Alvarez made his debut. That was a huge, incredible success and definitely a big step in the right direction. Just, just showing that one championship is, is doing it right. Um, so that was a big test. Run for for one championship, and and you know everybody passed with flying colors. It was incredible, but expanding throughout Asia, and and obviously we want to come to to the U.S. market. Like we want to we want to come to America and be able to offer, um, you know, just a, just a different outlook on on MMA, just a different mm-hmm. outlook on martial arts because you know there's there's the UFC which they have their motto, but one championship is a little bit different. It speaks to a little bit more of the purists and some people who might be turned off by the antics of you know, the way that the UFC promotes it. And some people love the way that the UFC promotes and they love the Conor McGregor trash talk and they're totally drawn to it, which is great. But I think that there's some fans that have been lost um, in, in the translation of all that, that could appreciate the way that one championship promotes their athletes and promotes their fighters. And so, you know, right now it's uh, the, the, the partnership with Turner Sports, TNT and Bleacher Report Live is kind of the first initiative to get, um, easy access to the States for people to watch the fights and to be able to watch them live. And, and, um, you know, hopefully within you know, a couple years time, like we'll be, we'll be able to show or throw our first show Stateside. That's mm-hmm. definitely a goal for one championship.
0: So let, I'm going to go back to the Eddie Alvarez. You brought up Eddie and with Demetrius Johnson, but what's your, What's your, because I try to explain to people that always listen to our podcast and talk to them and not so much that I'm being, I'm definitely not trying to be a hater is that not all the best fighters, even now that I work for Bellator, not all the best fighters are in the UFC. And I've said that I don't know how many times and I've said like, sure, not all the best fighters are going to be in Bellator and not all the best fighters will be in one, FC, in, in one fighting championships. Because you see it. Like you saw when Eddie went there. And I'm a big I'm a big Eddie Alvarez fan. But I mean he had his hands full. And I remember calling that guy's fight, Timothy Nasiukin. He's got big, big power in his hands, man. I remember watching him yeah. knock out a couple guys, just devastating knockout power. And Demetrius had a tough first round in that fight, you know, able to get the win. Yeah. But I mean he was in for he was in for a scrap, and for him, he's gonna have a, a tough road because those guys, tons of small guys that are really, really talented in that in, in one uh, in one. So, what was your reaction to that? And then also to uh, to the to the Eddie Alvarez fight. But then also on top of that, explain to people like, do you think that all the best fighters in the UFC? Like, if not, explain to us why. Um. Well,
1: I'll start with the Eddie Alvarez fight. Um. I knew that he had a tough route in Timothy. Hmm. Um, As you mentioned, you know, Timothy's very, very powerful and, um, you know, perhaps not as well-rounded quote unquote, but he has enough of a skill set to keep it where he's, where he's strong and, and he doesn't have to land many punches, you know? So he, he took Eddie out. Um, I didn't expect that, you know, Eddie's a really tough guy and, and we know Eddie sometimes has to take some punishment to really kind of pull the dog out of him. But obviously with timothy it wasn't a good idea you know you can't you can't take that kind of punishment from a guy like that but it was eye-opening i think for for fans to see that you know one of the greatest from the ufc i mean he kind of got destroyed you know and then and then demetrius johnson went out there and like you said i mean he had a tough round there was some takedowns that he didn't get which is not that's not common for demetrius johnson you know so Maybe you chalk it up a little bit, you know that this is a new promotion. There's a lot of new things going on for these guys. There's definitely some different, different. Um, you know, even the weight, the weight uh, cutting and stuff like that is a totally different ball game. They don't really weight cut here, but they have to make weight more than once.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so that was something that DJ said was actually kind kind of a n He said he used the term like it was kind of annoying. It was kind of a nuisance because I kept having to be on a certain weight, and, and granted, I didn't have to cut, which he's like, I felt great not having to cut. It was way better, but it wanted monitoring like how much I was eating and what I was eating is kind of like was the, the new balance that he had to kind of figure out. So you yeah, know, there was a lot of new for these guys first times. Um,
0: what but, do you, what do you mean by they don't, the, what do you, what do you mean by they don't have to cut? Explain to me like how they're doing it over there.
1: So their, their weigh-in system, they, they do it. Um, Essentially, everybody fights 10 pounds up. So if you're a bantamweight, you weigh in at 135. Or excuse me. If you, Well, yeah, let's use flyweight because we're talking about Demetrius Johnson. So Demetrius Johnson's weight class is flyweight, but he weighs in at 135. Okay. So essentially, they eliminate the weight cutting process and they use a hydration testing to make sure that the athletes are not dehydrated. Uh, so they don't allow weight cutting.
0: But then they still kind of have to cut weight to get to 35, though, if they're bigger than that.
1: Well, yes, but they can't cut. They're not allowed to be dehydrated. They have Uh, to diet to that weight.
0: Got it. Okay. Okay.
1: So it eliminates the cutting process, you know, the couple days before where we stop eating and stop drinking and Mm -hmm. go in the sauna and relentlessly dehydrate ourselves. It eliminates that process. So they have to actually pick a weight class that they that that is manageable without dehydration.
0: Got it. Got it. Interesting. Yeah,
1: so that was a a first for both of them. So if you you saw either of them looking a little softer than normal. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably why, you know, they didn't have to really cut down or get shredded for the weigh-ins and whatnot, but and, So but do they, they have, do they like,
0: do they do that the week of? So as soon as they land, they check their weight and then they probably check them th- periodically throughout the week.
1: Yeah, basically. They they I'm not exactly sure um, how many times? But it, it, it's around two or three times that they check. I think they check when they come in, and then they they do they do weigh in the day before. But I believe they also check the morning of the the uh, the event, mm-hmm. and you're not so you're not supposed to have like gained a, a massive amount of weight. So there's a different way that they kind of monitor it. They just want the fighters to avoid the whole weight cutting dehydration process. Mm-hmm. It's it's dangerous, and we all know it's unhealthy. Um, but it's also Um, you know, being linked to a lot worse brain trauma. Like when you're brain, when you're dehydrated and potentially taking water off the brain, Mm -hmm. knockouts and concussions and the, not just that, but the long lasting effects Mm -hmm. are, you know, potentially much worse. So essentially when championships just eliminated the weight cutting process,
0: do you think, and I'm going to touch on uh, TJ Dillashaw a little bit, not so much the EPO thing, but more of like the weight cut and you saw the effects of, how Henry was able to just barely like graze him a couple times and it kind of rocked him. Do you think that had something to do with the drastic weight cut?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know that I felt like I was more easily rocked when I had difficult weight cuts, and um, it makes a big, big. It makes a big difference. Like the the lights just go out faster. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but if you had really really hard weight cut, if it, it it feels like you are. You go out on your feet a lot easier, Mm -hmm. you know. Even if you're still fighting, like you're not, you're
0: not. Yeah, I never, I never really had to cut a whole lot of weight, so I didn't really, uh, I never really had that issue. I don't think so. You know, I do recall I had one weight cut that was, it was a little rough, and I just had a shitty performance, so the whole fight was shit. Not even just like getting hit or rocked; it was just a shitty fight. So, uh, yeah, that was a, that was one of those. That was just one of those situations where the weight cut, I think, just. I didn't I didn't diet the way I should have or eat the way I should have during camp, and the weight cut took way longer. I mean, you know, normally it's the last two pounds that are hard. It was like the last five. I mean, yeah, it was it was shit, man. But I understand what you are saying. So where yeah. um, where ex- like what what's your take on giving but, and to touch on T J Dillashaw, but to touch to touch on just the like use of the use of steroids, the use of performance enhancing drugs. I mean is is one talking about implementing some sort of um like stringent like um drug testing and stuff like that
1: yeah absolutely um it's really important i know for one championship to make sure that the athletes are clean so um drug testing is absolutely something that they're gonna um that they're gonna implement and not and, and throughout asia i'm not exactly sure how it works with the commissions and yeah. how the drug testing goes you know i definitely have a lot to learn um as far as how that is all run here but i have talked to Chhatri um you know chachri believes that throughout asia it's not as prominent um it, you know just the the honor system is a little bit more important than maybe it is in other places of the world and mm-hmm. People generally um, would opt to fight clean, but you know, that doesn't mean that everybody is, and it's yeah. you know, it certainly doesn't mean that it, it uh, is going to stop anybody. You know, a good old honor system, you know, if somebody wants to, to gain an advantage, I definitely think it's important to have the drug testing across the board. So I know that that's something that's, uh, I believe they already do some drug testing, but I think they want to get more thorough and just yeah. make sure that it's uh, the, the follow through on that is is clear. Um, Something I was gonna ask you actually. Oh, I have not been keeping up with this at all. But ha- has has uh, what have they released? What TJ? Yes. Was for EPO.
0: Was for EPO.
1: EPO. So, yeah, okay. EPO
0: is an injectable, so there's no way it could have been a tainted supplement. And it's so funny that you you brought this up. Is I actually had. Done The day after he relinquished his title, I said, it's really, obviously, given the era of John Jones testing positive and fighting it to the bitter end. Other, other people have been busted, and they'll fight it to the bitter end. They'll deny it, and they'll fight it all the way to the bitter end. But he just gave up his title with no questions yeah. asked. And so I said, I basically did a podcast the day after, and I just said, there has to be something that was thoroughly thought out and everyone everyone that anyone that knows anything about epo it's such a dangerous jug it can cause strokes cause heart attacks because all these issues and i said so it was obviously something that was carefully planned out so the only thing that i could really think of was epo or blood doping if he was having his blood removed and basically having it uh filtered out and basically put in more red blood cells and blood doping it back in so I, that's the only like a cyclist would to give himself better cardio. That those were the only two things that I could potentially come up with. And I talked about it afterwards. And even uh BJPen.com actually reposted the the article talking about how I called it right after. And it just sucks because you actually hear like Cody is also had called him out a year or two before that saying saying that you know he, he's the EPO was getting to his head, how he doesn't remember telling people how to do steroids at you know, at alpha male and all these other things. So it just, I felt it was kind of a question that needed to be asked, like, you know, who is, because I know Bellator talked about a little bit about potentially increasing their their drug testing, um, but they're just trying to find a a better solution besides USADA is what they're trying to right. do. You know, um, you know USADA is tainted with all this weird, st- you know, people are just talking about how they seem like they're a little, yeah. a little bit crooked or just, you know, Dana's in the ear and has a little bit more control than leading on to be whatever it is.
1: What do you think about the drug testing? Like, do you think it was better before or after USADA?
0: Well, uh, a couple things. I think that I think that there is a way of doing it. I just don't know if USADA is the answer. I think there needs to be right. a separate third party who is not paid for by the UFC that takes away and relieves the UFC of all responsibility. And it's not that. The UFC is paying them to come in and do the job, which I think most people can appreciate but the problem yeah. is is that they now they work for the UFC. It's not like the U, it's not like you saw it is independently done that they're getting paid by the UFC to, you know, for this. So I think if you find somebody if you find another company that can do it independently and expenses out of their pocket and you basically say like hey, anybody who you catch, we will pay you a bonus for that. So then they're actually out there trying to catch people for real and not that is not trying to catch people for real, but it just seems a little weird that some of these guys, they're getting busted and all of a sudden their results don't come back until a week or two after the fight, after the pay-per-views have been sold or after money's been made. Those are the things that really make me a little bit nervous about it, is why is it that all the big names are always getting busted after the fact, after the fight's been done? Uh, because honestly- I hate that. Because I really- you, you, hear, you hear people all the time, oh, we did the drug test and he, we, we took it on Monday, and here it is, like, two days later, they're they're busted. Or if it's a low, of a low-level named guy, they're getting busted, like, within 24, 36, 72 hours. Why is it, like, two weeks later after the fight's already happened that they had taken this sample three weeks before the fight, and now it's coming back dirty two weeks after yeah, the fight?
1: Yeah, af- after, after potentially their opponent was already damaged, yeah. you know, beyond what should have been uh, necessary, you know what I mean? It's, it's it, it, you you involved in a a sport that is directly correlated with head trauma Mm -hmm. you have to be on top of that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. if you're going to do the drug testing you need to know that the athlete's clean going into the bout period like there shouldn't be i don't know there shouldn't be these tests coming out after the fact like oh well we tested them and they weren't clean for the fight but the fights already happened so now they're gonna get suspended and we're gonna overturn these results it's like yeah well what about you know, what about the yeah. person who had to fight a
0: dirty a dirty well, guy or a dirty girl? Now that you brought that up, let's talk about that because TJ has two wins over Cody No Love and he actually won the title back from Cody No Love after Cody beat Dominic Cruz. Now they actually went back through I don't know if the samples were from when he fought Cody, but it said didn't didn't test positive for versus Cody anyways. So they went back through some of his old samples. That's why he got a two year suspension that they had actually found EPO in his in some of his previous samples from some previous fights. They did. Yes. So my take on wow. it is that now that they, they caught him and they went back through some of his old samples and tested directly for EPO, they were able to pull some of the old samples and they he tested positive for EPO in those samples as well. So he's been doing it for a while. Now, let's just, like you were talking about, like this person just got knocked out. Cody lost to him and got knocked out, not once, but twice. And I don't want to say that his next fight when he fought, who did he fight? Munoz? Uh, Munoz?
1: Cody,
0: yeah. Yeah, Cody fought someone. Uh, what's his name? Mark? Not Mark. Uh, Marlon. Marlon. Marlon Marlin, Marlin Munoz. Or I think it's he fought. Yeah, not Moraes. He fought someone else. Uh, here I'm that was Mar- not Marlon. I think it's Mark. Anyways, uh, Pedro. Pedro Munoz. Pedro. So he fought Pedro. Okay. Pedro knocks him out as well. Now look, TJ didn't fight a smart fight. Or not TJ, but uh, Cody didn't fight a smart fight. He comes out okay. and says he didn't fight a smart fight. But who's to say that Cody's chin is maybe now... Questionable after two knockouts by by TJ, who was blood doping or basically doing using using performance enhancing drugs. I mean, you yeah, could you could have I basically just ruined this guy. agree Ruined this guy's career.
1: So, so you know that like like the uh, the old uh, Marvel games where you would like fight each other and the lifeline would like go down yep. and then it would like go back up and it would like go down. It's like you got to kind of think of a fighter in that way too. That that like that that injury line that can be shortened by every knockout i believe that it is you see fighters that maybe like anderson silva for instance chuck liddell um you know guys that would fight with their hands down at their hips and and uh had great head movement early on but as they got a little bit older and then they started getting touched in the chin and then like it just compiled and it, and it happens pretty quickly once you start to get knocked out and you get knocked out again and then it's like those two knockouts could have shortened and affected Cody's career career tremendously yep. two big knockouts like that you know he might have had a more sustainable chin against uh, Pedro Munoz yep had he not been knocked out twice before.
0: Yeah, I mean, and there's no way to directly relate the two things. I mean, as far as we can just, it's all just speculation, but it just sucks because he lost the title to him. And I guess uh, Jeff Nowitzki just came out and said that they tested TJ's um, for EPO during the the Cody fights and they came back clean. But, I mean, who's the same? I mean, here's the thing is when you're doing doing steroids or using these drugs or performance-enhancing drugs, PEDs, it's all the work that's done during camp or before in between camps that actually helps you get to the fight that makes you better for the fight camp and for the fight. Like no one's just like, Oh, I want the super drug. I'm going to shoot myself with steroids right before I walk out and I'm going to be strong and and big. No, it's stuff that you do for, for months and sometimes years leading up to it. That It's an accumulation of getting better, getting better while you're on it. The whole time which makes you hit harder (laughs) makes you a little bit stronger probably makes your your there's a lot of things that get involved with it and i can see him potentially his career i don't want to say cody's done i'm just saying that it definitely has affected his career three losses in a row is hard to come back from and you i'm like for me i hadn't i didn't i didn't have three losses in a row until until i fought um i fought gill and then benson or i fought benson and then some oh, two other guys. It was just like that. That row. Your confidence is down, and you never are the same. The loser.
1: Yeah. No, I, I'm. I'm with you on that one.
0: Yeah. You know. So I mean, like, it, when you're when your confidence is down as a fighter, what do you do?
1: Um, that's a good question. I think it depends on the fighter, and it depends where they're at in their career. It's such an individual. Thing individual sport it's a it's an individual decision so many people can say that you should stop or retire I and mean, look look at um michael bisping you know it's like we we have seen him um go through those downs and everybody else telling them that you know that oh he should retire he should retire but um really it's up to him like he he can still fight if he wants to and he will still fight if he wants to you know
0: but he's another—he's so another—he's another example, though, of when TRT was going on. He fought Vitor Belfort, and now he has permanent eye damage because of that one fight. Now let's be real—like he real—I don't even know how he passed the eye exam test when he got to, when he was able to fight afterwards. Yeah. But that's something that was that he was—he fought in someone who was on steroids, and it ended up turning. up—he now has permanent eye damage. So, those are yeah. the long term effects the rest of his life he's going to have to deal with because yeah. someone was, I w- he wasn't cheating at the time, but there should have never been, they never, should have never been allowing TRT or any of those things to be involved in the sport, especially like you said, where we're causing brain damage. We're hitting people on the head. We're not hitting a baseball. We're not rolling a ball up. Yeah. We're not hitting a golf ball or hit, stopping we're a ball. We're not pop.
1: riding bikes.
0: <laughs> exactly. I mean, we're punching each other in the head and trying to hurt each other. So, yeah, I was trying to get your take on that whole that whole ordeal and and see what you thought
1: um man it's it's crazy and it's it's unfortunate you know it's teammate uh tj's a former teammate of mine and i've always known that the, that that man has been highly competitive i mean to a point that most people would deem insane yeah um you know i remember him just having huge tantrums and breakdowns where he's just like so pissed and he's trying to kill the kill the person standing you know across the way from him because that training partner got a, a punch on him or mm-hmm. got what you know it's just like it's you know it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous but i mean i don't know you know you know tj comes comes off as as a really good guy and you know i'm, I'm sure he is in some ways but there's no excuse for yeah for cheating, you know, it's just, he's really like tainted his own record. Like he already works hard enough. Like you don't, you don't, I don't think he needed any of that stuff, you know? And it's like, it's like for what? Like why? I don't know. I never understood it. I never will understand it, but I mean, it sucks. Like he's, he's become his own worst enemy then.
0: I said the same thing about John Jones, Anderson Silva. I'm like, dude, you guys like, why? I have no idea why you guys obviously, I think just stylistically you guys didn't need it. You guys were good on the feet. You had good takedown defense. Pretty good off your backs. I mean, good jujitsu. Like you didn't. But need-
1: isn't that crazy? You know that some of the greatest are tainted for using. It's like maybe that is what separated them. You know, we look at them yeah. and we're like, yeah, you know, you're so great, you don't need it. But maybe if they were on a level playing field, maybe someone else would have been like just as good or competitive. Like maybe they wouldn't have had like such. Maybe TJ wouldn't have been a champion. You know, maybe he wouldn't have knocked out Cody twice. Like maybe John Jones, you know, like maybe he wouldn't have uh, got that head kick in that fight. You know, I don't know. Like <laughs> <clears throat> Supplements yeah. have affected them, you know? Yeah,
0: I've said this like, you know, I feel like PEDs, what they do is, you take a fighter who maybe is not as mentally strong and it gives them all of a sudden when they take that shot or they use PEDs that it gives them the confidence to make them feel like they are unstoppable so that they can go a little bit harder. They can push themselves a little bit further. And I've always said that usually these are people that have a hard time with their confidence levels that are taking it. They want to feel like they have the edge. They want to feel confident enough to get to that next level, which is crazy because someone like John Jones, his two brothers play in the nfl he he's one of the best fighters to ever step in the octagon but it's just weird that he he's tested positive anderson silva i mean to me he's already tainted like there's no way you can put him in the goat conversation because you don't know how long he's been cheating you know so i mean as far as goat conversations if you have a mount rushmore i'm gonna ask you this question you're mount rushmore who's in your mount rushmore
1: Look, this is where it gets really dicey, because there was a time when cheating wasn't monitored. So yeah. how do I go back and say, you know, someone like Shogun or Vitor or, you know, those guys back, um, we even go back as far as pride, you know, some of the guys that fought in that, like, we know that almost all those guys yeah, we know. were. So <laughs> we you know. want to have the greatest of all time. Like there was a time when it was not only not illegal, but it was like, that's what you do. Yeah. So how, then how do you go in into the new era of USADA where it's not supposed to be, but like, are those guys still a part of the conversation then? Cause it's not like they were doing something wrong, but it's also not like they were on the same. I don't know, man, that's hard. That's a really difficult one that's where i always get tied up in the 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 goat conversation because i don't know how to factor that in i don't know how to factor the guys pre-usada and you know now we have usada here it's like i don't know it's different because a lot of those guys would have tested and they would have sure as shit fought a lot different than they did if they weren't (laughs) on all that stuff yeah
0: yeah, I agree with you. But, I mean, like, I look at certain guys and you, you look, I look at their body type. You know, some guys pass the look test. Some guys pass the smell test type thing, you know. And for me, I put guys like maybe Fedor was on something, but we never know. But, I mean, like, he, he never had the body that showed that that's how he was. So, I put Fedor okay. on that list. But even though he fought a lot in pride, he fought in other organizations and stuff. But I put him on the list. And then I put BJ Penn because I know BJ is just not about that life. You know, BJ...
1: Yeah. For for me, though, I mean, I don't know if George St. Pierre ever did. He doesn't seem like his character would, but he's just always been one of my favorites. Yeah,
0: I agree with you 100%. Um, So I have the three of them. I have GSP as being the top right now because he's never tested positive. He's a two-division champion. And, I mean, like, to me... He's always held himself with respect and showed and some someone you would want your kids to like kind of look up to as far as being a role model for, for a for a combative sport. BJ Penn is for me probably second on the list or Fedor. You know, those three are interchangeable any way you want. And then beyond that, I haven't really thought beyond that of who else would be on that list. I would say probably Jose Aldo somewhere oh. in there.
1: Oh yeah. Um, you know, a big iconic figure for me too is uh, Randy Couture. Like, yeah, was my original favorite when I first started watching, and um, also a part of the reason why I went to Extreme Couture. Like, I just think he's such a good, uh, good, kind-hearted person, a good role model. Yeah. Came from that wrestling background, kind of speaks of my heart. He's uh, somebody that I definitely could be up there.
0: See, that's, no, I definitely agree with you 100%. I think he was one of the first guys to be a two-division champion, though. That's why. He was heavyweight champ, and then he was the light heavyweight champ. So when I start putting this into categories, I start thinking of guys that were two-division champions. BJ Penn was a lightweight and then a welterweight. He beat Matt Hughes for the welterweight title first, came back and won the lightweight title. So they were doing that before it was even popular.
1: Forrest Griffin.
0: Yeah, Forrest as well. You know, I mean, like, Forrest is in that mix. I mean, for me, I have a hard, a little bit harder time to put with Forrest there. But Forrest is definitely an icon of the sport, though. I mean, he's yeah. the reason why it got to that next level, him and Stefan Bonner. But, I mean, I pretty much say more Forrest because Forrest still carries himself with – you know, respect and dignity throughout the sport and ever since he ever, you know, fought. He's And he's such a fucking hard worker, that guy. I love watching. I trained him a couple of times AK, and he doesn't like to be coached. He fucking hates it. But, uh, you know, we tried, co- like, coaching him a couple of times while he was sparring at AK, and he's like, hey, can you guys just shut the fuck up while I'm sparring, please? And we all just started cracking up. We're like, sure, no problem, man, no problem. You got to love guys That's- like that. Just speak their mind, but they're 100% real, and you got to respect that
1: yeah so <laughs> he's like i'm trying to fight here yeah You're
0: distracting me yeah exactly. true i can totally see him do that fuck i remember he won the ultimate fighter he drove that fucking little scion around forever until the wheels fell off i talked to him like years years after and he's like yeah man i still got it. it's all beat up and fucked up and barely gets around but yeah i still got it
1: that's hilarious yeah. i love that that's, that's the kind of character i just i i can i can wrap my head around that that's
0: that's <laughs> awesome. When uh so now back to one. When when are you working your first show?
1: I don't have a date set yet, but I'm hoping for May.
0: Okay. And then um wh- where's uh where's your guys' next show and when are you, when are you guys are you guys gonna be in Singapore soon? Or are you guys gonna be uh Kuala Manila, where are you guys gonna be at?
1: Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> we have an event coming up in yeah, every literally everywhere. It's crazy because yeah. they're expanding so quickly. But um, we have an event coming up in because uh, June in Singapore, and um, but uh, man, there's so many shows coming up. It's crazy. Like there, there's uh, the the way that they're expanding and starting to do more than show one show a weekend even. Yeah. So. It gets pretty crazy but I mean if anybody does want to check it out and, and uh, verify like exactly when shows are coming up, you, know, you just go on the either the One Championship app is really user friendly and the and it's free and the Bleacher Report Live app is also easy and free to use. Um, so those are two really easy ways to keep up with you know what's going on with one championship. Awesome.
0: I'll just text yeah. you and find out.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'll be like, Hey, what's Perfect. up? <laughs>
0: Hey, same, um, same
1: stateside. I'm like, well, what's going on with TJ? I don't even know. It's yeah. like terrible. I know it's my job to know, but I've been like highly distracted with everything going on over here. So it's great, pretty, pretty been pretty crazy for me.
0: Did you watch the uh, fights last night? The I watched
1: some of them. I didn't get to watch the last fight, but I watched uh, uh, Kelvin Gastelum and Israel Adesanya. Great fight.
0: Yeah, good, good fights. All right, well, hey, I don't want to keep you too long. I know you have other things you got to do second week on the job, making sure you're uh, keeping up with what you're doing. So thanks. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll send you over the link and everything. If you can share it, that'd be great. And uh, it's great to see that smile, girl.
1: Yeah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. And sorry if the if the Wi-Fi has been a bit spotty here. Oh, we're I know good. sometimes the connection isn't the greatest, but but uh, I did my best to, yeah. to be there for you.
0: <laughs> I wish you the most of luck and uh, we'll talk soon.
1: All right. All Thanks, right. Josh.
0: How are we going? Bye.
1: Bye.